standard issue for all women. Hello, Jen here to tell you about this week's episode of The Sunday Chops. This week I'm joined by Ella Al-Shamahi, paleoanthropologist, TV presenter, stand-up comedian and author of the new book The Handshake, A Gripping History. We talked about the current PR disaster for The Handshake, as in the actual shaking of hands, not the book, about the origins of the greeting, about why it's almost certainly going to be making a comeback, and about the absence of human contact over the last year and why it's so important for us psychologically to be in contact with other people. Ella was absolutely fascinating and I really enjoyed chatting to her about this very topical subject, so I hope that you will enjoy listening to it. I'm joined by Ella Al-Shamahi, paleoanthropologist, TV presenter, stand-up comedian and author of new book, The Handshake, A Gripping History. Hello, Ella. Hi, how are you? I'm all right, thanks. And you? Yes, I'm no longer cold, so we're going, <laughs> we're doing That's well. That's good. That's good. Ella, Ella was a bit chilly when we, when we started this call and she's wrapped herself up now. So, Ella, you have got a lot of strings to your bow. So you have got quite an interesting collection of things behind you. There's a globe, there's a skull, there's some other bits and bobs. So I was wondering if you could tell me, for the uninitiated, what is a paleoanthropologist? Are you basically Ross Geller from Friends? Yes, but slightly nicer to women. No, but... I'll say that the thing with Ross is, one of the many things about Ross, (laughs) is that uh, he is a paleontologist, whereas I'm a paleoanthropologist. So if you imagine a Venn diagram, sorry, but um, paleontology, archaeology, the bit that overlaps, that's me. I'm an archaeologist, but I don't wake up for anything that's like under 10,000 years, but also give me a dinosaur and I will slightly panic. So so it's basically the end of paleontology and the beginning of archaeology. That's paleoanthropology. In an easier way of putting it i study human evolution i think i should have started with that i study human evolution there we go i don't know what i thought <laughs> i love what your face is doing right now to, to the listeners the, the face is doing amazing things right now so so paleo kind of means really old i guess um and and so the thing with the stuff that i study you know we don't really look at buildings or kind of roman ruins but we're interested in fossils human fossils because you know it's it's deeper time than just i don't know the vikings um so yeah so it, it is really old stuff but of course old stuff can be really old you know like the dinosaurs yeah <laughs> um see i have you know i that's not my area of specialization so i mean this wasn't one of my questions to ask but it is an obvious question when you kind of think about people doing you know in your field of work you kind of think of I don't know Ross Geller not the same field of work but I've you know paleo that'll do like that's in my mind uh Indiana Jones basically comparison. Thank they're you. all Keep... they're all men aren't they <laughs> this is not a profession that I typically think of as as one that that many women are are in yeah. well actually so it's interesting so um in archaeology there are women Actually, there's a hell of a lot of women. If you look at undergrad courses, there's more women often in them. I mean, I guess the, the closest popular culture thing we have is Lara Croft. Um, so, um, although at times she seemed more like a like a thief than an archaeologist, but let's <laughs> let's leave that for a minute. In terms of exploration, I guess traditionally explorers were yeah old white guys from well to be fair from the 1800s or the 1700s so you don't expect like a brown girl from Birmingham <laughs> to be an explorer but there we go. 
also to be fair like i do love the term explorer because it's also so whimsical and so and also so ridiculous <laughs> google earth has made a lot of us just it's kind of completely taken our job away from us um so, so spare a thought for all the explorers who have lost their jobs to google earth yeah. explorer that's kind of like Oh, do you know what that makes me think of? It makes me think of a cartoon that I used to watch in the 80s called Around the World with Willy Fogg. Well, actually, Dora the Explorer is now a thing. Um, of course. And, and, uh, yeah, so so it's, it's quite annoying because I either get... Let's say when people are being mean, I either get um, Ross Geller or Dora. And when people are being nice, obviously, it's, it's Indy and, and Lara. But <laughs> mostly, mostly my friends and family, it's like, all right, Dora, shut up. <laughs> Well, Dora, I'm sure Dora is a very... I don't know anything about Dora the Explorer. She, she's too young for me yeah, she's, and she's yeah. too old for me to know of as, as a parent. But I'm sure she's a very positive role model for young she, she women. She actually is in many ways. She really, really is. Um, I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm quite pro-Dora. She's feel, great. She's a little girl who's just really into stuff. <laughs> I was going to say, I feel like you know quite a lot about Dora the Explorer now. I'm interested in this. Um, but... <laughs> Well, you know, there's only so many popular culture references somebody in my industry can get lumbered with. So. <laughs> Fair enough. Now that we've established what, what you do and, and, and indeed what you don't do, let's talk about your book, The Handshake. So I wondered, how did this come about? Did you plan this before the pandemic or is this very much a post-pandemic idea? Yeah, this book was not in my mind at all. I was supposed to be in Iraq. I was supposed to be in Somaliland. I was supposed to be on expeditions, basically, or filming. And the pandemic hit and all of my travel got, you know, rightfully cancelled. And so I'm just sitting there, you know, twiddling my thumbs going, oh my God, what's about to happen? Um, And yeah, like my literary agent turned around and was like, look, we should get Ella to to write a book on the handshake because we could do with a book on the handshake from an archaeological perspective. And the minute they mentioned it to me, I just started laughing because I was like, you have no idea how relevant this topic is to me because I have obsessed about the handshake forever. This is perfect. And it's a perfect lockdown project. You know, the idea was we turn it around really, really quickly. I give up the idea of having a life. And yeah, that was a perfect time to give up the idea of having a life during a pandemic. Yeah, <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. The opening line of the book is, the handshake has a serious PR problem at the moment. So is that kind of like the, I don't know, the genesis really? Yeah, and I think it was really interesting actually because um, when it was initially kind of put to me as a, as a topic idea, it was like, oh, you know, because the handshake is, you know, might disappear. And I was like, uh-uh, no, we're not doing that. <laughs> we are not. Like, I've realised that I'm a very loud advocate for the handshake. Um, <laughs> I think, um, which is a very strange thing to be an advocate for. <laughs> but there we go. I was really dismayed, I think, by a few things. I was, it's going to sound a bit odd, but I, I was very dismayed at how the handshake was almost being, and, and touch generally was being used to catastrophize and make everybody feel really bad about the future some people don't like touch absolutely they're right there's a lot of people out there that really like touch and yet we had people all over the world saying some of them you know heads of state some of them in positions of leadership saying we will never shake hands again we will never hug again we will never and it was like this is not based on data this is not based on history every single example of a recorded epidemic or outbreak of a disease in history that you know led to the demise of a handshake was always temporary always and when you do that you're just adding to a sense of hysteria as as opposed to telling people look things are going to be bad for a bit 
we're going to need everyone to buckle down and then hopefully we're going to slowly be able to go back to life you know that is a much better message in terms of public health than we're screwed it's never going to get any better you're never going to be able to touch anyone again and you know i was going into lockdown single so i was around a lot of single people at the time going what (laughs) this is this is not a good message and it's also it then becomes a completely unsustainable message because not only are you making everyone depressed not only is it factually you know inaccurate but also it means that if people think there's no hope, they're just going to break the rules. Whereas if I turn around to people and go, the handshake is amazing. If you want to do it, you absolutely should. Just not right now. It will come back. Just, just stick with it. <laughs> just stick with, you know, public health guidance on not touching right now. And it will come back. All the evidence shows that it does. Because Dr. Anthony Fauci, the White House COVID-19 task force member and sort of Donald Trump shade thrower, <laughs> he said that we should never shake hands again. But you, as you've said, the handshake has been banned, as it were, or, you know, a thing that we didn't do for a bit in the past. So like the Spanish influenza, various plagues, etc. You think, you, you know, you, you sound pretty sure there that the handshake is coming back. Anthony Fauci is obviously, he's talking, thinking about public health messaging, right? He would be very happy if we just stopped shaking hands. Because, yeah, shaking hands does transfer, you know, colds, flu, blah, 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 all the rest of it. So he's basically saying, I wish the handshake would go away. But he's not saying that the handshake will go away (laughs) because there's just absolutely no evidence for it. So um, actually, I I kind of really looked into this. And, yeah, if you look at um, Spanish flu, people really were shunning each other physically, obviously. You know, there there were places where it actually got banned. So Prescott, Arizona actually banned the handshake. There was a yellow fever outbreak kind of at the beginning of the United States being formed um, when Philadelphia was the capital. Um, the whole of Philly just stopped shaking hands. In Azerbaijan, uh, at uh, the end of the well, 1800s, there was a cholera outbreak and they actually formed a anti-handshake society where you wore a pin to identify yourself and you had to pay a few rubles if you... Yeah, and, ever, and then also the similar things have happened with the kiss. So at certain times, the kiss has either been banned because of a plague or a pandemic or an epidemic. And then it always comes back. Because guess what? Like in 2020 in Philadelphia, the handshake was, you know, we had to tell people in Philadelphia to stop shaking hands. In Baku, we had to tell people, you know, in, in Prescott, Arizona, we were telling people. So it came back in every single one of those cases. And the same thing for the kiss. So it will come back, but it's just a case of people, you know, the world being safe for it to come back. Let's go back to the start, shall we? Can you tell us a little bit about where the handshake comes from? Because one of the things you say is that, which has never occurred to me, but it's quite obvious, that it was something that you did, for example, to show that you didn't have a weapon in your hand so you could be trusted. But the origins, in fact, are much, much earlier, right? Yeah, so I uh, one of the other reasons why I wrote this book is because I was getting so bored of, you know, as I said, everyone declaring that it was time to write the obituary of the handshake. Um, but the other reason is because all the articles that were written at the time were so factually inaccurate. So they were saying that the handshake started because in medieval time you were trying to show that you you weren't carrying the weapon because, you know, by moving the hand up and down, you dislodge your weapon, blah, 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 blah. Why is that, guys? That makes no logical sense. <laughs> because you could also argue that you're coming much closer to your victim. <laughs> in fact, a US President McKinley actually died because his assassin pretended to come in to shake his hand. Like it just, the, the, the dynamics, the choreography doesn't work. But also the handshake is so much older than that. Also, some people refer to, oh, it's missionaries, it's, it's the Quakers, it's this. And the truth is, I 
think that the handshake is a biological thing. I don't think it's a cultural thing. I think it's probably older than our species. Kat Hobater, um, who's a primatologist uh, at St Andrews, has actually shown that chimps shake hands and they have very, very similar meanings to the handshake in our own cultures. And I just think that is mind boggling because chimps shaking hands or sometimes feet, which is quite cute, that chimps are the closest living relatives that we have. And you usually assume if chimps are doing something that we commonly do, that's by descent. So that's in our DNA. And then there's a whole pile of other evidence. There's this fascinating stuff called chemo signals. I think I basically could have just written a book on chemo signals and the penis handshake, and I would have been happy. <laughs> I think you're going to have to tell us more about the penis handshake. Um, but chemo signals is this incredible thing where basically, um, and I don't think a lot of us accept it, so just bear with me while I say this. So I think most of us think that we communicate as people via verbal and nonverbal communication that you can see and we're very conscious of. We, I think some of us accept that pheromones are a thing, kind of sexual chemo signals are a thing, you know, like, oh, I like their smell or, you know, whatever. But I don't think people understand that chemo signals, just chemical signals, are actually a form of communication between humans. Um, animals have it, but we like to think we're really special and we've evolved our way out of being animals, which I would argue is not true at all. Um, so they did these experiments where they got gauze, they put them under participants armpits they got these participants to watch different kinds of films you know like either happy films or scary films and then they got the gauze and they brought it to a different group of people and the people accurately reflected the emotion of the person who was sweating into the gauze in fact at one point they actually point to a whole pile of bottles and they say we're filled with gauze and they say which one smells like happiness and they got it right more than you would expect chance it's really weird and some scientists in an institute in israel were actually able to the wiseman institute are actually able to show that um, handshakes are actually used as a delivery mechanism for chemo signals because actually we unconsciously sniff our hands quite often after we shake hands so there's all this science that goes into this and i was like how is nobody talking about this <laughs> your face right now is amazing it's doing its thing again so I, I, you've mentioned pheromones right because i've read lots of that makes it sound like i i know a lot about it I, I really don't i've read bits and bobs over the years is probably a more accurate um, reflection of the situation of people saying that pheromones are a thing and then people saying no of course they're not a thing because if they were a thing you know like armies would bottle it and they just use pheromones as sort of biological warfare and and of course pheromones aren't a thing so i don't know if you can answer this but are pheromones a thing pheromones are a thing i think it's just you know how powerful are they i have a very strong sense of smell mm. and it is very awkward for me to admit to the fact that about there was a period where about 50 percent of the men that i rejected were based on their smell wow now, really heightened sense of smell but if i look through my friends it's not uncommon for them to say, I just didn't like their scent or I loved their scent. Now, that's a really interesting one. I've had a number of friends say that their partner or one of their partner, like, you know, at some point in time, or they have just been so drawn to someone's scent. Um, and that's on the conscious spectrum. So imagine what's going on under the surface. Um, and there's certainly evidence that pheromones are, I think, uh, there's a number of experiments that have been done. But I think, you know, the question is, of course, how powerful are they? if you're able to like write sonnets <laughs> or, you know, buy somebody flowers. And I think my argument is we have not evolved our way out of being animals. Yeah. So all of that stuff is still very much functional. It still plays a role, but also we're 
particular kind of animal that's also invented a very, very advanced language, um, you know, and has very advanced language skills, has a fascinating culture where we can buy people flowers and we can, do you know what I mean? We can do all this stuff and we can build buildings. And so we can offset some of the stuff, you know, it, also we've got perfume as well, right? So, yeah. <laughs> so they can fix certain things. So it's, that stuff is all functional. It's all important, but it's not as important as it once was. Certainly not in modern society. funny because i read a thing years ago about various different types of dating that y- you can do obviously and there was one where people like you take you like sleep with some clothes or something and then and, like you give your pajamas over or something like that and then people decide if they want to date you like on the basis of a, a, a whiff of your pajamas which sounds disgusting but one of the things actually that i was advised to do when i had my daughter and she was very little and she was refusing to go to sleep in a cot was to sleep with one of her sheets and then put the sheet in the cot and then that she would sort of smell me and be like cool this is you know this is where I want to be I feel safe here exactly and this is it and I think you know it's interesting because the same thing um they say about dogs so I was dog sitting my friend's dog um and uh, he was just stressed and she was like okay there's this really weird thing I was putting something on that was particularly smelly just for this situation. And I was like, no, that's exactly what I was going to ask you. I was going to ask you if you've got a top that you haven't washed yet. And he can't, it was, it was weird. (laughs) You know, and and you think, okay, well, that's a dog. Like literally he just kind of snuggled into it and just like relaxed. But why would we be any different? Like, you know, I get it. We're not on that level, but we're still animals. It's just that we've got speech. No, you're absolutely right. We do have we do have this thing, don't we, as humans, that we like to sort of pretend we're not just animals, but we are. Human is just I just don't buy it. I think yeah, we are further along on a hell of a lot of things, but um, we're still fundamentally animals. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> At, do you know, and do you know what? Having having a child has has really really made me realise that actually um, that we are just all just stinky little animals, really, on the subject of smells. But okay, moving on from that, one of the reasons that this book is sort of personal to you specifically is that you spent a large period of your life up to the age of 26, following a strict Muslim law which dictated that there should be no physical contact between men and women. So you lived without the handshake for 26 years. Can you tell me a a little bit about that? You know, like a lot of kind of really kind of orthodox uh, faiths, segregation amongst the sexes was like a really big thing. And so this is something that I adhere to. So until the age of about 26, I could probably count on one hand how many men's hands I'd shaken maybe two but probably one you know it was just something I never did and it was quite it was actually quite funny because at the time you know you'd get together with your mates and you'd be like oh you'd go through avoidance tactics because it was basically a constant running joke like how you would avoid trying to shake a guy's hand um and you know I was something that I was constantly like aware of and it's funny because obviously during covid some people might have experienced somebody trying to reach out hands to kind of shake their hands and they're like oh panicked and they don't know what to do and blah 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 so we would sit around and like brainstorm this like troubleshoot how we're getting out of this and uh, i remember a really early memory of like you know i was under 10 uh, and i was in Torquay on a family holiday and the B owner came out and tried to shake my mum's hand and she just pretended she was really busy fixing her, her hijab you know like <laughs> her headscarf 
was just like in a knot or something uh, and it's like you constantly saw the way the elder women in our family and then as I got older how everybody was trying to navigate this because obviously we live in a culture where handshakes are so normal and so that was basically my life there for a while it was really funny actually because it was it was really a difficult thing to try and pull off because it's such a standard cultural thing sometimes I'd just say oh I don't shake but that was usually my last resort I tried at one point like putting my hand on my heart like you know very cute and exotic but also you know a strange response to somebody putting out their hand oh my god there was so much stuff that I tried and it often failed like at one point I'd, I'd like sometimes flick my sleeves forward so that I technically wasn't touching them technically they were shaking hands with like a piece of material but also that could sometimes come across as quite rude because it came across like you know I was trying to not you know like their hands were filthy or something yeah as I said it was a constant like little game of how the hell am I going to get out of this one now and then obviously I became secular and I went to shake hands and it was a, it was the most interesting thing because I was so hyper aware of those yeah. first few hands because men's hands are different I mean they're not always different but you know they they tend to be different and um, in that they're coarser skin feels slightly different a little bit hairier the bigger mm. uh, and it was just that awareness. I was, I was, it was literally like I could feel, I mean, obviously this is physically impossible, but it felt like every single one of my sensory <laughs> receptors like in my hands were kind of going off and I could feel everything. It was very, very strange. And then obviously I got over it. And I, and I think my argument is what people will see is when they, when they start going back to the handshake, I think people will notice that it will feel, those first few will feel really weird. They'll be very aware of them. And then they'll get over it very quickly and forget that they ever thought it was weird. What kind of reaction did you get when you were sort of, you know, doing this little dance around not shaking hands? Because I imagine it would look a bit strange, but also like the step, I, I, I don't shake hands. I imagine probably also was a bit like, sorry, what now? Yeah. Like as a statement, it's not one that you come across that. Do you know what you could have, you could have just gone and just waved instead. But I suppose... Oh, I- saluting at various times which I thought really, I, mean, I thought that was really cool like me saluting yeah. but also I, I was a woman in a long you know often dark coloured cape and headscarf and I think it was, just seemed off brand to a lot of people that <laughs> <laughs> a woman in hijab is saluting them it's just very strange <laughs> in terms of how people responded I, I think it ran the gamut to be honest I think some people I think because I was so, I think people don't really sometimes know what to do with Muslim women who dress traditionally. Um, you know, it's kind of, <laughs> it's almost like a, oh, we don't know how we're supposed to treat them, how, what, what they you know, where their boundaries are, blah, blah. So I think for some people it was like, oh, okay, that's, that's part of the parcel. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, um, that's what's going on there. But I think for other people, yeah, they, they saw it as possibly being rude or just very odd behavior. So if I was going into an interview, I would often just make the decision that I would shake hands because it was just too high risk, really. Yeah, no, I, that's fair enough. I can I can understand that. So one of the things that we have missed, probably one of the main things that we've missed over the course of the pandemic, which is obviously related to this, is not just human company, but actually human touch. How important is that human contact from a sort of psychological perspective? Oh, it's so important. 
often. I detail the science on this quite extensively. Touch, you know, it reduces stress. There's all this crazy evidence for how if, I wonder how they did this experiment actually, because I could imagine them being a little bit unethical, but um, if waiters touched uh, people a little bit, they got a bigger tip. There's a lot of evidence for touch in business meetings leading to more trust. Even if you're, even if there's one experiment where you're actually shaking hands with a robot, so the person wasn't actually in the room, it was, it was like this, it was over the internet, mm. but the, you were shaking hands with a robot, even then it showed an increase in trust. There's, as I said, there's a lot of chemical stuff there as well. Like I said, at kind of at the beginning, uh, in terms of communicating, but in terms of also increasing things like warm and cuddly feelings amongst people, kind of slowing down our heart rate, et cetera, et cetera. There's a whole pile of uh, really fascinating experiments about massage and the impact of just that kind of touch on trust, for example. There's one fascinating experiment where one group of people were massaged and they were more willing to trust a complete stranger with their money as a result. And so, you know, the evidence is really, really, really clear. Touch is so important. You've just had a kitty, right? Yeah. Um, so much evidence on how important touch is for children. When Trump had that whole crap at the border, and kids were not being touched. There was a whole pile of people that came out, kind of child specialists, saying this is really detrimental for these children. Uh, we know from uh, the Romanian dictator when those uh, orphanages, when I was a kid, kind of came to light, how bad that was for their mental health not being touched. So I think we should just accept <laughs> that the evidence and the data is really, really clear on how important touch is for us. And so, I would say if you're emotional about the fact that you haven't been touched, absolutely normal. Don't get me wrong. If you don't like being touched, absolutely you're right. And obviously touch should always be consensual, et cetera, et cetera. But if you're feeling miserable about it, like I am, I, you know, have not touched so many people. I want to, you know, my, my nan, my family, you know, I'm barely touching my sisters. I almost died in December. It was quite melodramatic. Um, I went into hospital, uh, they had to do emergency surgery. Um, and just before I went in, they were like, by the way, probably going to be, you are going to be in an induced coma after this, blah, 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 all this stuff. Thank God, you know, operation went really, really well. But I basically had a really sudden near-death experience. My book was due in two weeks later, and I had two TV shows, Channel 4 and BBC, going out that same week. I did not have time to almost die. <laughs> My body was not, I had to do publicity. I had so much PR to do. Like I had to finish this bloody book. Instead, I'm almost dying and I come out, thank God, made it. I don't have any slits in my throat, as they'd originally told me, but I couldn't touch anyone. So I'd just been through this near-death experience and I couldn't touch anyone because it's bloody COVID. So even my poor sisters, I'm like, you guys can't come near me because I am so weak right now that I don't think I would have the strength to fight COVID in the way I normally would be able to fight it. And I've got all these projects about to come out. And it was the weirdest feeling writing that book I say that I'm an advocate for the handshake. Really, I'm an advocate for touch <laughs> because I, you know, it was, it was viscerally painful to kind of go through a year of not, you know, hugging my nan, not blah, blah, blah. And actually the book is dedicated to my nan, partly, you know, as a, as a like virtual hug to her. And so I think if people are feeling like me, just know it's really normal. Like the animal kingdom, touch is so important. It's so when you have a baby skin to skin is the thing that that you have to do it's the you know to get the oxytocin up and it calms the baby down makes them less stressed helps them if they're upset so yeah exactly that's exactly another one of the ways that i was like yeah we're just stinky little animals aren't we we may try and deny it but i've got a little 
little agreement with one of my housemates that we're allowed to give each other as many hugs as we want. And I kind of just look at her and she's like, yeah, hug now. <laughs> like, for all the hugs that I wouldn't have got from my sisters and all the rest of it. It's like, I want one now, please. <laughs> oh, well, your book says that you are more of a hugger these days than, than a handshaker. So, you know. I'm just generally more of a hugger. As well as not being Ross Geller from Friends and the many other things that you do, you do a little bit of stand-up comedy, don't you? Yeah, so um, I, I'm a stand-up and people do think it's a very, very odd mix. Paleoanthropology, exploration and and stand-up. And I would agree with them. <laughs> it is rather unusual. <laughs> but, you know, I work in a lot of uh, what are described as hostile and disputed territories. So, so a lot of kind of difficult places, shall we say, sometimes uh, to work in. And I just found, you know, we have a choice in how we respond emotionally to things. And you can train yourself to see the glasses half full or to try not to catastrophize or to try, you know. And I realized comedy was one of my things for that. Something that I um, I learned from people that live in war zones. Um, obviously, some people who live in war zones are incredibly depressed. Um, and that's definitely a thing. But a lot of people who live in war zones also, on top of that, they also kind of develop this really dark sense of humor. And they, they learn to find the funny in things because it helps them get through things. And uh, I think comedy for me is partly a coping mechanism for all that stuff. But partly it's because comedy is delicious. It's just, <laughs> I always say comedy is the most intellectually challenging thing I have to do. And I'm an academic. So, <laughs> Uh, so yeah that says a lot <laughs> you know getting people to laugh is is um it's you know it's it's, a, it's tough it's delicious though so ella obviously you're not doing a hell of a lot of touring or, or gigs at the moment i imagine but where can we keep an eye out to see what you're up to follow me on the socials for now so my shows that came out in december are still up jungle mysteries lost kingdoms of the amazon is still on the channel 4 app and Waterhole, Africa's Animal Oasis is still on BBC iPlayer. My Nat Geo show is also from that same period is still on the Nat Geo app. It's about Viking women warriors, not the Nat Geo app, it's the Disney app. And then I've got a radio series coming up with my brother for the World Service on the 10 year anniversary of the Arab Spring, kind of um, a reflection of that 10 years later, so a five part series. And that will be a lot of fun working with my brother because my brother is brilliant but also it's really hilarious because he's the he's a hardcore like news journalist and I'm like the TV presenter. <laughs> so when we do stuff, I'm like, ah, and he's like, uh, it's not about you. Uh, it's about the questions. And I'm like, oh, OK, but my feelings. <laughs> he's like, no, it's not about that. Um, it's just really funny seeing the cultural difference. Also, he's much funnier than me, which really upsets me. <laughs> <laughs> That sounds really interesting. I assume your family background is from that part of the world. Yeah, so my family are mostly from Yemen. Uh, obviously, that has been really, really tragic situation. It's a six-year war. It's kind of, you know, the world's worst humanitarian disaster, and yet apparently nobody knows about it, or it's not talked about at least. So kind of you know, really invested in that whole region. And my brother actually went and joined the Arab Spring right at the beginning, wow. and it was kind of of pride I think for me and terror absolute terror it means a lot I think my parents don't know what to do with the fact that my brother's like a war correspondent and I specialize in disputed territories we, we went through a period where we would tag team who would tell the parents about which journey they were taking because we were like we can't both tell them at the same time <laughs> but you know I think kind of beyond all of that you know Yemen's a it's um it would be good if the world spent a little bit more time and attention on Yemen because it's it's a it's a really bad situation out there yeah i would say if anyone wants to donate anything to yemen doctors without borders 
are an incredible charity. I actually have a link on most of my accounts to uh, to a fundraiser for them. But just generally, Doctors Without Borders. I mean, you know, I work in a lot of places which are kind of difficult. They're the last ones out. They are just something else. Those guys, it's like proper heroes. What's your Twitter handle or Insta handle or your? Yeah, Little Miss Fossil on everything, and I just joined TikTok which was hilarious because I'm 37. I felt like I was going on 17. Quite embarrassing, actually. <laughs> so there you go, guys. Go go and appreciate Ella's TikTok. Make it worth a while. Ella, thank you so much. Your book... So your book was published on the 25th of March and is available from all good bookshops and indeed online. Ella, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. Standard issue for all women.